0: Welcome to episode 151 of the NFL Scotland podcast. We are back for the 2021 NFL season. My name is Cameron Hobbs.
1: And my name is Paul Mitchell. Can you guess that Cameron's excited and how to use Weedabix today? Because I certainly can. We are delighted to be back for our fourth year of the NFL Scotland podcast. We're delighted you're able to join us.
0: Yes, indeed, we are. Um, Really excited about the season ahead. We've got lots to cover. This is the return now to the weekly podcasts. We'll be here all the way through to the Super Bowl and slightly beyond as we give you a Scottish slanted take on the NFL every single week uh, for the rest of 2021 and into 2022. And good grief, it cannot come quick enough. Things are hotting up. The stories are starting to fill in. We've already got our first season-ending injury. We'll get to that later on. going to do here though is we are kind of wrapping up a month here where we've been enjoying uh looking back at the scottish claymores of course in june we had the 25 year anniversary of the scottish claymores winning the world bowl we're going to do a little bit of a slight look back slight look forward and ponder a question around whether the claymores would be more successful um, if they were to exist today uh to do that we're absolutely delighted to be joined by a couple of guys from the terrace uh welcome back again also writer for the nfl scotland website Andy Harrow, how are you doing, sir?
2: I'm very good, thanks. Nice to see you all. Uh, good to
0: be back as well. And joining you for his first visit, his maiden voyage on the NFL
3: Scotland podcast, please welcome Duncan Mackay. First and potentially last. See, Let's see how we go with this one, because <laughs> uh, I'm feeling out of my depth, but we'll give it a shot.
0: <laughs> now, we always ask our new guests the same couple of questions, so I'm going to hand you over to Paul here, and he's going to walk you through these, Duncan.
1: It's interesting what you said, Duncan, about your first and possibly your last. Cameron's lasted 151. You'll be absolutely (laughs) fine. Don't you worry. Uh, Duncan, first of all, we'd like to know, how did you get into supporting the game of American football? What attracted you?
3: I think uh, I've always had an interest in American sports just because they've seemed uh, slightly more exotic than um, supporting Hibs uh, and, and, and lower league Scottish football and everything that goes along with that. And so I suppose... The first introduction would probably be, I don't know if anyone remembers it, the the magazine called Sported in the 90s that was uh, always seemed to be had some sort of poster of the Denver Broncos or or basically whoever was winning and being quite successful uh, in the 90s at the time. And I'll always remember them being quite big on the Dallas Cowboys. And so it's kind of just folds the sport kind of from that uh, some kind of waxing and waning to be honest I'll, I'll not say I, I'm, I cannot sit here and uh, lie and say I'm the world's biggest NFL fan but I've I've, uh, I've enjoyed what's going on and I find it a, a hugely fascinating league
1: so did you decide to pledge your allegiance to the Dallas Cowboys or did you see the light elsewhere
3: i saw the light elsewhere so yeah i did um i suppose my the team that i have an affection for i think that that's always been difficult of, of i think one of the reasons why that i was talking about that wax and waning was just never really feeling like i had a team to support um you know obviously when you was younger you took tangential pride in the in the claymores and things like that but uh, i suppose it what brought me back in recent years has been the the all or nothing series on amazon and i, I you know um, so I kind of air towards the the cardinals but uh but then also just have a soft spot for the players that were involved in that series which is a really weak answer i know uh and terribly sorry it's
0: a perfectly acceptable answer we've got um almost a full nfc west here as well which is fascinating <laughs> uh paul you're gonna have to take the seahawk mantle which is fine because i don't like them and that makes it easier to just give you a hard time tonight so i'm happy for you to do it
1: that's certainly very now. Duncan, final question because the NFL Scotland have obviously got an edit, a theoretical NFL Scotland NFL team. We're packed full of stars, position players, we've got more kickers than we know what to do with. Which position, given the chance, would you play if you played the sport?
3: Uh, I mean, I've I've always fancied playing, but I don't think I'd be any good. I think Waterboy is probably the the, the the best position for me, just uh, or any sort of menial task that can be done around that. Some of the one of the guys that uh, pops up the medical tent, maybe I reckon that that <laughs> reckon that's a that's a job that I could just about be trusted with to, to get on with. To be fair, with some of the names in our team, we that medical tent will be busy. You'll actually see more
0: action than anyone else. <laughs> you might as well leave it up to be Perfectly honest. <laughs> brilliant 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 um okay we're going to get into the conversation uh as i said uh you know we had a bit of a chat about this and and it came on the back of of a couple of tweets that you guys yourselves put out about the claymores and you know we wondered would the claymores be successful or more successful if it was to if it was to come around now if nfl europe had been created in 2021 and let's take covid out of this right there's no point even talking about it Just in today's market, in today's world, with everything that's going on, do we think the Claymores would have had a better chance at longevity and success? Not just the Claymores, but I guess NFL Europe as a whole. Um, Obviously, let's kick off, first of all, on that conversation about the growth of the popularity of the sport in Scotland. Now, ultimately, we've seen that ourselves, Paul. We've had a number of live events. You know, they get sold out pretty quick. Uh, We've seen the numbers grow, the podcast, which is absolutely brilliant. We want to continue to see that growing. But the game is more and more popular. Uh, Andy, Duncan, for you guys, is that something that you found as well? There's more people that you know that have got an interest in the game now.
2: Yes, I'm a a relatively new fan, I suppose. Uh, Anyway, so... uh, me about four or, four or five years now that i've been watching it so so i'm probably one of those new fans that's that's come to the game in the last few years and it's it came through uh the bbc um and the coverage there uh which is a, a kind of perfect starting point for um for people who don't really know have, a, have an interest in it but don't really know that much about it um, and it, it really gives you a, a good grounding before you move on to um kind of watching it in a wee bit more detail uh, and I think I think there is I think there is just more understanding about the game itself. I think social media helps a lot as well. So even if you don't watch uh, whole games, the chance and the American sports especially are good at this of of clipping things up and putting on uh, sort of the best clips onto social media. Uh, so I think even if you uh, don't watch. Um, much of the sport you'll, you'll surely during the course of the season come across something from from the games and it might pique your interest in it and i mean the individual plays are incredible in themselves so that is the best thing to, to potentially get you into it so i, I think there's even I, I think the interest it feels like anecdotally is growing but i think even just the awareness is is growing as well and i think there's a there's a kind of almost and at some point it might run out, but there's an almost insatiable appetite for sport and live events and, and things to, to go to. I mean, uh, football seems to kind of constantly, our football seems to constantly be expanding. Other sports are kind of trying to get in there as well. But there seems a, and I don't know if it's just because, again, there is so much access to content now, but, but people... I seem to be happy to, to take any sort of different types of sport and anything that they can get their hands on TV shows everything else so I think I think it feels like there is um, it's obviously hard to judge um, especially when we don't have our own team and everything else but from my side of things it does feel like it
3: it's, it's difficult to measure I think you know I think I I, I um, heard the, the new sort of president or chief executive officer of NFL Europe talking about how many millions of fans they, they reckon they had in Europe at the moment and I think that but um, like you know, again with all these things, they, you know when they say oh you know, that half the world was watching you know the Super Bowl, you know, they weren't. Don't worry about it. Like it's <laughs> it's how you measure it is is is, is uh, the metrics being used. But I think that that I think we're now at kind of a, a sweet spot, I suppose. In terms of the access to the game, like as Andy was saying, the proliferation of the clips, you know, the fact that the BBC are on board, so you just get eyeballs on it that you just that you know that people we all we all see this, you know, we see this in you know look at the viewing figures compared of international football qualifiers compared what you know that on Sky versus European Championships you know on on BBC and ITV when it's there when people just happen upon it in the way that they don't when you start getting higher than maybe. 11, 117 on your your uh, your Sky remote type thing. So you've got, I think you've got that. You've also got sort of the so the technology works. You've also got just the um, things like fantasy football have you know, have become ingrained as part of the part of the culture. You you have people that take an interest that that is their access way into the game. So I think you've just got lots more ways of getting into the game. You know, if you, you know when I you know, in the early nineties and heard about this thing called American football and there was you know, the, you would see. Maybe a segment or two on Transworld Sport if you're up early enough on a Saturday morning, and uh, you know maybe there might have been games on the Sunday afternoon afternoon, but it was it wasn't regular, you know, because it was probably usurped by uh, football Italia and stuff like that. You know, um, you know, if I wanted to know what the rules of American sport were, it was you know, your your ways of getting it was go to the library get a book, or you know if you did were well, lucky enough to have a computer. You had something called Encarta, and you you had to do a CD-ROM and, and look for it that way. Like whereas you, know, if you you can see what's going on, and you can you can find that you can find out as much as you or as little as you want about the sport. Um, and so I think there are, you know again, as Andy was saying, like anecdotally, it feels like it's much. better. like I hear on the train on a Monday morning, like people like coming in from Dunbar to to Edinburgh, and and you, you know, people will probably say that that is your know, prime NFL. Um, Territory in terms of kind of middle class commuters, you know that uh, you know. But you know they're they're talking about the game. They're not talking about Hibs and Hearts. They're not talking about Celtic and Rangers. They're not talking about uh, previously you know club rugby. They're, you know they're talking about what happened last night at the Seahawks game, or what happened to the Jets, or you know uh, you know why why is it falling apart at the Dolphins? You know that's that's what people you hear people talking about more than anything else. You know on, on the train, and that I found that was quite a remarkable sort of shift in, in what's happening and kind of prompted that was where the discussion came from where we were just looking back you know 25 years of the claymores and you're suddenly like was it like a, almost an idea that was too too far ahead of its ahead of its time because i think right now i think it would be something that could really take off i think we're far more used to events as well and i think that's you know that people you know going back to when the claymores played you know mid 90s uh, you know, uh, uh, into the late 90s you know people where you, you I don't know like I'm just comparing it to things like concert tickets and things like that that the growth of that has been exponential same with rugby internationals you know that you know they're now selling out all the time because it's been marketed as an event and I think I think it's fair to say that the marketing uh due for NFL Europe wasn't entirely that sophisticated I think it was more a case of uh, let's shift a couple of thousand tickets out to primary schools and hope hopefully turn up and bring their parents, and that was that was the
0: growth yeah. model, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting point. Paul, you know, you, you started watching NFL before television w- existed, so, you know, ha- having picked it up on radio and gone through that journey, it must have been even more challenging to follow some of what was going on. And I think that Duncan and Andy have both hit on a really interesting point around the education part of this is so important. I, I think if you know very few people who know the sport, Back in the day, you you had no way of getting into it, and you would no reason to get into it. Whereas now, it's so much more available, so much more accessible. How did your education through Paul of the Game evolve from radio to television, beyond?
1: A general interest in sport, or every sport that was available to me, and tried to figure them out. And you know, I'm a little bit more experienced, shall we say? Certain sports have fallen by the wayside. Uh, you know, tennis, I find irritating, uh, for example. You know, the, the two weeks of slavering over Wimbledon does my head in uh, because that's no longer a big sport for me. I lost a lot of passion for cricket when it went to Sky TV and they cut out the terrestrial market. So just to touch on some of the things that Andy and Duncan said. So, I mean, I had six things written down and I think you hit most of them. Social media now, it's an access point for just about everything. How do you measure which Duncan measured, you can lie with any sorts of statistics. I don't believe any of them. Terrestrial television is so important; it remains important, and even in what what I would class as my next thing, like, a segmented marketplace, there is still something about free-to-air television at the moment that is holding against you know your pure subscription model or your prime your fantasy football. Is is absolute genius marketing because it gives you a reason to watch, it gives you a reason to play. And I think we're seeing that with uh, the English Premier League has done a very similar thing. And it's a way of engaging people who might lose interest somewhere along the way. The other one that I've written down is betting. And I think that's going to start to become very, very big. Um, you know, I mean we've all heard of the sports books in Vegas and Jersey and things like that. So I think you've got an access, a greater point of access than I had as a kid. But the problem is that access funnel, there's about a thousand things trying to get through that particular door. So while on one hand it is actually easier because it's easier to promote your product, everybody else is doing exactly the same thing. The NBA is pushing. Major League Baseball is pushing. The NHL is pushing. So it, it it is quite difficult still to engage. And I think that's where you do things like terrestrial television, fantasy football and things like that really do help bring people along. Now, the other thing, just finally, about terrestrial television, if you had three dull blokes sitting talking about the highlights, people would which I think what the BBC have done, have been very, very, very well... A they should have put Cameron eye on. They didn't. Second best was Mark Chapman, which was a pretty good shout, uh, with Jason and O And that and if you if you flip back slightly to like say Mike Carlson, you know what he he brought to Merkville, you need people to engage when they identify with, and if you can do that, that's your route and that's the interest.
0: Uh, you're right, Paul, and you make a number of really interesting points. Again, I agree with what the guys have said so far. You didn't answer my question, though, about your education and how it was on radio versus television, but I think that, you know, it's still... Well, cr-
1: y- you take the cave paintings, they were helpful, you know, because they had the place <laughs> mapped out. No, I mean, radio... Every team was the radio. Buffalo Bills. <laughs> it was just the yeah. buffalo <laughs> and, and they still lost. <laughs> good radio engages you doesn't matter what it is. Good radio engages you. You know, if you turn on your radio, your car radio, and you flip to a station, if it's good, it might not be what you normally listen to. It can engage you. You know, uh, you know. Um, I talked about tennis and how I find tennis exceptionally boring, but if you listen to Five lives some of the tennis stuff was good on that. So sometimes it can get you. So that grabbed me. The the pictures that were painted, and then that when it came on Channel Four, that allowed you to actually see it. Um, I didn't go to Encarta, I did buy a book, a Marks and Spencers NFL book. I'm sure lots of people have got them, uh, which tells you exactly how it all all worked. And from there, you, you just pick it up and it becomes a fascinating thing. And I am, I'm actually slightly counter-cultural. If other people don't like it, that tends to mean I'm going to like it because then it's something a little bit different. Uh, and I think you tend to find that with American football. And I think as we get a little bit older, actually the joy comes in sharing that with other people who have had a similar experience. They may have, you know, got into the sport on their own, but all of a sudden, you know, 20, 25 years later, you're in a room full of people who did a similar thing and you've all got stories to tell and, and the ways that you started to enjoy the game.
0: And it's interesting, you know, I think another point you've made there is the fact that it's... it's- it's nice to watch NFL with other NFL fans. And I think it's still at the point where that can exist. Um, you know, you talk about our football, and to be honest, there's certain games that, do you know what, there's, people are just hard work. And I hate talking about football with them because they're just, I'm sure they're saying the same with me, but they're just dicks. And I'm like, this is a crap conversation that I don't want to be part of. You're just blinkered to the point where you can't even talk about it. That's like, I don't mind a blinkered opinionated view, Right but to the point where you can't even hear another opinion. It's just, we're getting into politics with that crap. So, you know, it, American football is better because it you can get a pub full of people and you can get people sitting on a train talking about a collective of matches that have happened and the impact across the whole thing. And you can look forward to it. Even with your own team, you, you kind of can have that affiliation with some other teams and you can have weird, irrational hatreds of other teams and teams that you like to see lose and players you like to see lose and then players that you love to see play because they're they're explosive and they're high-octane. Um, and I think that that's something that's quite unique about the NFL experience right now, is it's still pleasurable to watch in a group of people, and quite often a group of people you don't necessarily know. So I, th- I think we've talked touched on a number of points here around the growth, you know, a number of reasons. If we were to look at the Claymores now, though, let's talk about grounds and facilities in Scotland. You know, obviously, they played at Murrayfield. Uh, Duncan, you talked about it. I don't know if you went to games. Andy, I can't remember if we discussed whether you went to games or not. I know, Paul, you did. I went to a few. Um, Murrayfield's a brilliant stadium, but when there's 10,000 people in a 60,000 seater stadium, you lose a little bit of the value of the atmosphere. And I wonder whether there's a better place where you would put the Claymores now if that was the size of audience that they were going to play in front of. And would that be a better experience overall?
3: It potentially comes at a good time, you know, that we, we are going to be looking very soon at having Hamden redeveloped potentially, you know, if the money is put in place. And it was just something I, I noticed today, um, you know we should be looking to build a cathedral of sport to a degree and, and again ambition is not necessarily something that uh is a useful bedfellow with people in in, in uh, sport in scotland but you know, what what they've done at Crook park with, with in dublin which is an amateur sport but you know, is is uh it's uh, even at the moment when there's games not being played you know they, they were having yeah he had uh, uh celebrations day but it was also acting as a a vaccine center and a test center and doing numerous other things and it's got a museum and and things like that so I think there's enough space that Hamden you could redevelop to make it a the the home of of scotch football properly but also that you can make it a versatile uh multi-purpose arena to do things that can you know, that doesn't necessarily have to take up the the, the whole stadium and things like that. you just have to look at your know, bc place in vancouver easily done where they where, where it's a huge huge stadium but they um they but they've got the ability to close the upper tier but enclose it so it makes it look like there's not an upper tier exists that that's a huge opportunity and it keeps the sound in you know that which is another critical factor because i think what you want if you were to relaunch the Claymores, is that you would want people to be having an experience? Okay, they might not enjoy the game. You would hope they enjoy the game, and you would hope that the Claymores win, and they, then they're, they're immediately badgering mum and dad, or you, know, the, the, you are know, their partner. Come along, you've got to come and see the next game. But you want them to have a good experience, and you don't get that at uh, at Hamden as currently configured, or Murrayfield as, as as you know, much the same that Edinburgh Rugby have had to you know build a well i'm not even sure what you would call it um to, to, to be played uh, outside the the ground so i think that that you would have to think carefully i think that the the experience has to be thought of even before you even say this is the, this is the team we want um because ultimately you don't want to be in a position where in, t- in 10 years time they turn around and say well actually no it was the facilities that went up, for, up to scratch if you invest in the facilities first uh, then you make it uh, a you're know, kind of a no-brainer in my opinion
2: the other side of it, i guess uh, from a, from an attendance point of view is that if there the, there's a number of there's obviously a number of scottish football grounds especially of a a sort of 10,000 15,000 uh, sort of figure that would maybe more naturally Fit a, a, an average audience that we go to uh, an NFL Europe game. say so if they were if they were rebranding it again. Is that? Um, and I think that would that would be one of the things I think that you would have to consider if you were bringing a, a team back. Is the the optics of it to uh, for for want of a better word the the idea that if you're watching it on television uh, that you're seeing full houses. I mean that's always one of the criticisms against Scottish football when it comes to selling the selling the game sort of elsewhere is that you could bet, you know, watching a game at Hamilton and there's you can't see any fans at all because uh, there's two stands that aren't there and then there's hardly you anyone else in see the other one. There's two ones. supermarkets though. So <laughs> <you know. laughs> but, um, and, and I think that's one of the things that they might have to be aware of that uh like you said cameron you, you don't want to be in a massive venue where you've got it almost looks like a COVID attendance where you've got you know two people to every six or seven seats i think you want to be showing the um the sport has been popular and i think that's partly why the nfl is uh, becoming more and more popular it almost kind of breeds its own popularity i think so f- using my example Part of the reason I was interested in getting into it was because a number of my friends, and sort of Duncan included, would talk about the NFL and would sort of seemed interested in it, and it seemed like a kind of popular but also a wee bit niche thing to get into. And I, I think you want to make it as easy for people to get into as possible. And if and if you're either going to games or watching them on television, and you've got uh, a kind of relatively full house there, you've got a good atmosphere. Even if you're not that bothered about the sport as such you might go along to it as a as a bit of an experience and you know like that that event type thing that that is so much more popular now um you know even going to Glasgow Rugby here I've got no real interest in the in the rugby anymore but I've been to I've been to see the Warriors because it's and it's and it's been an entertaining afternoon you know it's it's full houses and it's um decent crowds and everything everything like that so I, I think you know, maybe looking at a, I don't know a groundshare with Livingston or something. Not an ideal, not an ideal ground in many ways. But something in, in that scale might also be a might be an option. And I think there are more options now than there were back when the claimers were around. There is a lot more stadiums with the potential to have good facilities. And football fans here are not always particularly well treated. But NFL fans generally. Are given a wee bit uh, of a better experience, so so there's a lot more opportunity, I think, for for bedding in a, a team and making that experience sort of decent for people. I think I think that
3: is yeah. the, that, that that is the difficulty is that Scotland doesn't doesn't really have that mid range. I mean, I, I think you, you could maybe say ten castles in the road in Edinburgh, but they're t- probably too tight. Uh, and you, know, they don't allow you to do the the experience stuff that we were talking about. You, know, you get you, you're not going to be able to block off from Cloud Street and and be on Gorgie Road to create some sort of tailgating experience for people, and you know, the same down down on uh, Easter Road and and Albion Road and, and things like that. And I think that there is a danger. That part of my reasoning behind thinking that actually this is uh, time has come. You know, that it was almost too soon. Was you didn't? One of the big things was. You didn't have cheap flights. EasyJet and Ryanair didn't exist in in the 90s. Or if they did, they were you know very unheard of. You know this is pre-internet days, and so this idea that you could have a couple of thousand people from coming from Barcelona over to Edinburgh or Glasgow for the weekend, you'd want them to be impressed, like with with the greatest respect in the world. Them having to be bussed out, or you know, you having if the, the even if you you know put the buses in place, them having to get a train to Livingston yeah. and then having to walk like two miles mm. or, or whatever, you know, isn't a great experience. And I think that's the, I think that, um, it's a higher strategy. But I think if you were to bring back NFL Europe or uh, or uh, uh, something similar, you would have to be aiming at it would have to have big aspirations, which I can. Which is a high risk, high uh, high risk uh, thing to ask investors to, to get involved in,
0: and and it's true. Like, um, I atmosphere is so important in this. Uh, you, you touched on the rugby there, Andy, and for me, actually, it was a couple of games for Edinburgh rugby. I started going along in the New Year game against Glasgow, and every year, it, well, it helped the Edinburgh keep winning. But every year, <laughs> it was a, a great atmosphere, and and it kind of drawed me into. Now I like rugby; I enjoy going to the rugby I enjoy watching on the telly but I wouldn't often go to the Edinburgh rugby games I started going more and more and more and then I ended up being a season ticket holder a couple of years ago you know and it was because of that atmosphere and drawing in that is what makes you keep coming back so you think actually it's a great day out also because you can drink uh, which is a big novelty in Scotland Mm -hmm. as well being able to go to the game and sit and have a drink in the stand and watch the game and enjoy it without there being the kind of nonsense that goes with sport similarly and I'm and I'm not doing this intentionally, Duncan, I apologise, because I definitely wouldn't do it to butter up Paul, but when I was working at Forth, I, it took me to a lot of stadiums that I normally wouldn't go to to see games, and atmospheres I wouldn't, I wasn't used to being in. And I'll be honest, going to Tyne Castle, and when Tyne Castle was rocking, there was something about that that I was like, do you know what, this place when it's on fire is unreal. There's noise, because it's built for that function. It's built to maximise the noise, fine and budge might not like it and she's trying to get rid of it that's an opinion that people can have but you know it's it's a great place when it's on its day uh, and stuff like that is a massive factor in it it's not just about knowing what's going on it's about being engaged in the sport when you go along and paul the point i was going to bring on to you is we've seen this to an extent in some of the london games now the london games are different because you've got the absolute top caliber but we've seen games like you know washington versus the bengals They're not exactly high caliber games, yet they're sellouts and people sit to the end. And it's because, I mean, the novelty factors, they are fine, but we've seen enough of it now, it's more. It's more than the novelty factor. It's the opportunity to see the sport. And they put on a bit of a show there as well.
1: It depends how you treat the fans. What what are they going to see? So if you go back, you know, 30 years, early 80s, Tyne Castle was a dump. Easter Road was largely a dump. You went because you wanted to watch the football. You might get absolutely sodden, you know, if it was raining because there wasn't cover, the transport links weren't great, parking's terrible, because the clubs expected you to come because you were a fan of that particular club. We're, we're more sophisticated now. You know, we, we want... You know, you don't go to the cinema and just sit in some bog-standard seat. You now sit in a recliner because everybody wants comfort. Everybody wants something that will give them an experience. The Americans twigged this a lot quicker than us. They they then started to demolish their cookie cutter stadiums that, that they tried to make for both baseball and for football because it didn't work. The fan experience was terrible. And they started to give us things like Camden Yards, which is a beautiful ballpark that people want to go to, not just to watch baseball, but to be there socially, etc. That's where fast forward to Edinburgh and Glasgow. That's the model they've tried to copy. A great, I mean, Scottsdale for Glasgow Rugby is a great night out. And they do well because they've got a little bit of space. I mean, it's not the best for transport links. It's not the best for pubs round about it. you know. So they've had to work hard. And I think if you want to take your fan base and your customer base for granted, you are going to lose them. So that's where american sport i mean going to the baseball is one of the great loves of my life simply not just because of the sport but because of everything around it um you know and this is where we get it wrong in this country it's almost like you turn up you pay your money just get inside we'll steward you badly you know in certain parts of the country the police will huckle you they don't personally care they want you in they want you out they want you away Now, that's not necessarily the club's fault, but I think you're now starting to see clubs thinking about the whole match day experience. It sounds a bit trendy and a bit millennial, but I think that's the way that we're going. People will no longer accept a crap experience. They'll just stop going. And you want something that will give you a memorable day out. You know, win, lose or draw on the result. You know, if you're well looked after, there's good food. I mean... We rip people off for food in this country. We rip people off for drinks. You know, you take the Atlanta Stadium. We've mentioned this on the podcast before. They thought about it. They brought in $1 bottles of water. They opened the stadium three, three and a half hours before because they want people inside. What it's done is it means people go early. People spend money. You don't get the big rush with 20 minutes to go with everybody coming in. They've thought about it. And that's I still th- think, is missing from sport in Scotland. Is it possible to find, uh, as Andy mentioned, a, a 10 15,000-seater venue? I would argue it's not because nobody's prepared to spend money in, up front. You know, if you look, and, and an example I'll give you is look at some of the Victorian buildings that are around Scotland that are still housing libraries and public buildings and things like that. And you look at things that were built in the sort of 60s and 70s. You know, cheapest chips horrendous, and is being torn down. We no longer value certain public spaces. We try and you know do things on the cheap. You know, I'm not going. It's not a political statement, but if you look at you know the sick kids' hospital that's built in Edinburgh, and all the problems that were around that, we've got to. We no longer prepared to invest the money properly to ensure we get really good facilities. We are living in the richest society we've ever lived in. And with some of the poorest conditions, yeah. you know, per capita. it's And these things, and then people, you know, if your roads aren't up to scratch, your schools aren't up to scratch, etc., etc., people are not going to throw money at sports stadiums. It's just not going to happen.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting, actually, going back to Edinburgh Rugby, they've just built the stadium out the back of the stadium uh, and made the choice, which I'll be honest, I was surprised that I'm looking forward to going, and I, this is in no way a criticism, but was surprised by its temporary nature and also that it was quite small. It felt like 7,800 seater. I've been at games where there's been five figures at Edinburgh Rugby, so fine, they're not going to do that for every game. But at 7,800, you're never going to do it. There's, there isn't necessarily any room for growth. Now, perhaps they can expand if it works out really well, and perhaps that's why the tempered nature of the stand is such as it is. But it
3: feels it, it felt like a g- bit of a missed opportunity. It looks cheap. Yeah, that, uh, that I think that's that, that's part of the problem, and so it's harder to can. Yeah, this is I think this uh, Paul was absolutely right about this, and and uh, you know how football treats its core cu- core customer, and it, and I think a lot of football clubs and a lot of things in Scotland decided many 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 decades ago we've got our core customer and we're just going to manage this decline, you know, and, and that's the, and there's no, the, there is less of a kind of growth mindset, which I think you know, was a terrible term, but you know, like, but it does make sense to you in terms of there is an element of build it and they will come. But there is that also that Scottish mentality of you don't want to be doing anything fancy. Like, you know, <laughs> don't, 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 don't get ahead of yourself. And so there is, there's always going to be a, a slight, um, clash there i think with the of, of trying to be slick and professional and attract you know you know, there is there is an element within not just scottish british society of you know tall poppy syndrome and stuff and and you know, coming out and saying you're wanting to do something different and be different get can get you castigated uh quite easily and people w- want you to fail so i think there is there is that element and i think that doesn't th- that scottish mindset sometimes doesn't work well with the american sports mindset but at the same time if you're now an Edinburgh rugby fan and you're trying to convince someone to come along, you know, to, to something that then then they, their friend pulls up on Google and looks at the new Mini Murrayfield and they're going to be like, well, that looks really temporary and looks a bit meh. Like how how that you know, and it's and it's further away than even the tram stop was to the stadium. You know, like it it becomes just you've. You've got to stop putting hurdles and obstacles in people's way and making it as easy as possible to to get involved. And that includes, you know, going all the way back to how people are introduced to the sport, you know, the opportunities around the stadium to try American football for kids and stuff like that. Because I think, you know probably part of a much wider issue, but you know, I think the NFL, you can kind of see what they're doing with the the um the schools that they're developing in Europe and stuff like that. Because they're going to need to do that because what's happening with the NCAA and stuff like that in America that they are going to need to widen the the pool and you can that you know the NBA has beaten them by a generation on that and you know this is the first time I think in quite a while that the 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 uh, olympics basketball team are a bit worried (laughs) going into the the olympics (laughs) that the USA might not be the best team there because you've had this expansion of talent throughout the world and you know the NFL is the world's biggest league you know by revenue no no questions probably around that but you, the, the ability to be a properly global global league with the talent you have involved would be a much bigger prize, you would imagine, in terms of being able to grow the sport. Because, again, to be it, to see it, you know, is to be it and stuff. And you, you, I think, you know, we've had Lawrence Time, we had the kicker and stuff like that that is played in the NFL. Isn't it? Doesn't quite get you uh, the, the, the heart's racing as much as could you imagine having a German quarterback or a, you know a, a French linebacker or you know a, a a Scottish uh, wide receiver I don't think we've got anyone remotely that fast Um, but you know like that suddenly that opens up the sport even wider it brings me on to an interesting point right and this is something
0: that the Claymores lacked and we've talked about this on this pod before Paul is the lack of our Claymores legacy Uh, it kind of it ran for what it was it was brilliant you look at you know, Scott Cooper was the closest to Scottish wide receiver that we got. You know, he played ten plus seasons in NFL Europe. He got that one preseason game with the Bears. We did that interview with him um, recently, and Joe Murphy. Straight up told him on the podcast, there's no way he was ever played in the NFL. You know, that was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. But uh, a brilliant podcast. If you haven't listened, go back episode 150. Yo Murphy, who was MVP and made some amazing catches that day. Uh, Jim Ballard, the quarterback, and Scott Cooper. Brilliant banter between the three of them. I think I said about... I spoke for a total of about a minute and a half in an hour-long podcast. And that's rare, let me tell you. But it it brings me on to... Because the other thing that we're getting a lot of chat now is the London franchise. Uh, So I guess for you guys, what would be more... Significant and important towards building some kind of pathway into playing American football. Do we think NFL Europe is, would be a better uh, engine for that, or is a franchise in the UK going to draw more
2: people in and get people playing? Uh, I I think the challenge that you've got with the the franchise is that it's going to feel. I well, there's two things about it. One of it, it'll feel very London, uh, and it'll feel very distant from us up here. I think. Um, I think the international games being down there, it's kind of okay because it's once or twice a year, and it's a variety of different teams, and you'll go down for a bit of a, a weekend out. But if you're asking people to travel for, say, eight home games, uh, that's a whole different ball game. So I think, in in one hand, it'll feel. Very much like a, a a London franchise, it wouldn't. It might feel like an English franchise, but realistically, it'll it'll be a London thing. I think. Um. I think the other thing is is that the pathway side of it is that if you're looking at, if you're the NFL looking at growing the game because this feels like a London franchise. Yes, there, there might be people from Scotland that will go down to the, um, the events they have down there and try try out for it or whatever else, but you're not gonna get any sort of consistency on it. So my feeling would be that if you've got a, a team based here in a sort of NFL Europe style league, you would you would think there's already a natural pathway now. Obviously, when it, it it comes to you know realistically, it might be a lot of the developmental players that haven't made it in the NFL yet, or are coming back from injury, or all that kind of stuff. But there is a there is the opportunity to kind of learn from the mistakes that they made uh, previously, where they maybe didn't spend enough time um, getting kids involved in it. They maybe didn't bring enough local talent through, um, and it's not just here, you know, like said. the the amount of support that the league had in germany for instance that there wasn't enough talent came through from there either and i i think there i think there's maybe more chance although it's no no guarantee that it would work but i think there is more chance that if you had something that seems a more realistic option for for kids up here to do then then you might get it Uh, the 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 franchise thing kind of leaves me cold in general, especially because everyone's got their teams already. More or less, you, know, you might get younger, you might get younger people getting into, and that's maybe the point. But everyone our age has already got a team, so you you generally only go to to watch your team. So it, for a number of reasons, I think the the pathway thing seems like a more of a challenge. If you're, it, it just seems like an event thing to, to bring more punters into the NFL, basically.
3: Yeah. I was I was going to say in terms of a. Uh, uh, London franchise or whatever. I think the 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 biggest problem is you you can't shrink the Atlantic Ocean. Like I think that's fundamentally what. Like if if they if they come in and are hugely successful, you know, if if that is the model they say they're going to build a, a franchise or they're going to relocate the Jags full time or whatever, you are going to have the first year of just bitching and moaning from other teams. Like there's no way you can get around the fact that you're asking. Uh, Your know, teams to make a huge amount of effort, uh, and I don't. You know, we've we've kind of seen a, a slight model in that in terms of the Toronto Wolf Pack joined the the Rugby League uh, Super League, and you know, COVID aside, that that seemed to be going quite well. But that also involved them. Um, you know, in, uh, there was a lot of logistics involved. <laughs> you know, because it's the Atlantic Ocean. Like, there's there's not a lot you can do about. It. Now, if you were maybe to have two or three franchises, that's good, but. But at what point? I don't think there's any real clamour, you know, for for the NFL to you know, NFL current owners to to want to do that. So I mean, you've got the, you've got the infrastructure and you've got the support to a degree. But in terms of logistics, you can't make it work. We've seen the difficulty that's happening with the South African teams, and, and you know, we had that you know the South African rugby teams and you know how they got on initially in Australia and, and New Zealand and stuff like that. Like there's a, there's a logistics are logistics for a reason i suppose and, and, and andy's point is absolutely spot on about the if you're to bring in a new franchise i you know that is going to compete in the nfl i think it's going to be really difficult you because none of your hardcore nfl fans will want to give up their long-held sport of the 49ers or the packers or the jets or the giants to support, a, to support a team who let's be honest will be London like it will be you know what might not I can't imagine it'll be the monarchs but you never you know but you know London kings or whatever you know like it's going to be something along that and then it becomes I mean this country is already London centric enough um, and again yeah it, what I, yeah I just can't see it working I mean you think you've got enough people in London of course to make that franchise a success for London but the idea that it would be a success for the UK or for Europe to have that franchise I, I can't see that happening and so I think whereas I think people could get behind the idea of a London and a Birmingham and a Manchester and a, a Scottish franchise and you know maybe a Dublin one and, and Frankfurt and all these German you know, and they are your local nfl team and you still rotate and and the seasons don't overlap and you've got and you can build it as a development league that you see the superstars of the future or you know the the guys coming back for one last attempt because obviously you can probably learn a lot more from an nfl europe game than you could from any preseason match or or how they how they do in in, your pre-season camp um i think that's a much seems to me a much better uh solution a much more realistic proposition but again involves a lot more money
1: i don't think it'll ever happen and either nfl europe coming back sadly because i think we've seen you know two american football leagues spring leagues fail in the states and they you know they had fan bases they had stadiums they didn't have the travel so i don't think it'll ever happen Uh, i can exclusively reveal that the nfl are currently considering the london bojos uh that's the that's the current franchise name at the moment uh good on them uh it's very creative they love talking about that kind of thing at this time year. i don't think that'll happen for the reasons that andy and duncan have mentioned you know what i don't want it to happen either I, you know i used to work for a company called standard life and assurance company you know they then bought a bank they then bought a healthcare. you know arm, they then got rid of a healthcare arm and a bank arm, You sometimes you've just got to do what you're good at and I think the NFL would be in danger of overstretching itself if it started to go if you wanted to be a bit more radical, we've got the 17th game, you know, why not have one in Canada, one in Mexico, one in Berlin one in, you know, one in Edinburgh one in London, whatever, you know, put together a package that way, so I think you can get creative, I think part of the mystique of American football is, is that we can't We can see it, but we can't touch it every week. And I think that's part of what lends itself. I mean, the question for the guys, I mean, how many successful and, I mean, truly successful American soccer players have we we seen to date, bearing in mind the MLS was kicking about in some form or another back in the 70s? You know, it's not a sport that naturally everybody in America gravitates to, and I don't think there's really any great way that there's going to be a natural gravitation towards that in this country we are going to gravitate to football to rugby then in summer you could argue we'll gravitate towards cricket i don't see that necessarily changing i think what you've got to do is almost stand up and say we're available if you want to come and try us we'd love you to to do so um, but i think the pathway thing is, is ambitious but i'm not convinced it's going to supply the nfl and itself you know it might supply some into the cfl I don't think it's going to come into the NFL. The other thing, very quickly, is if you look at the number of indoor leagues in America that have failed as well. Um, I've been, you know, I've been to the Tampa Bay uh, Storm, the you know the Orlando Predators. They are a great night out; they're fantastic, but they're unsustainable given the sheer volume of people that that are involved. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you just got to cut your losses and concentrate on what works. College on a Saturday, NFL on a Sunday. That'll do me.
2: I think it's fascinating, though, that there is the NFL. It seems more and more interested in kind of making people interested throughout the year, but it's all admin activities pretty <laughs> right much the whole way up until the season starts. And they've done a, I mean, they've done an incredible job of making you interested in picking names of players and uh, and, and practices. You know, with having TV shows based on training exercises in training camp. But um, and, and so the. the there is a kind of natural. There is that natural time, especially kind of now in just you know the last few months, where there is that gap, and I know the AEF and the XFL a couple of times now have tried to fill it, and obviously those last two didn't have the the NFL support for it, and there was pluses and minuses, and ultimately they they both went bust. But I I, I do find it just fascinating that for a, for a company and an organisation that wants to. Have eyeballs all through the year, and once have people talking about it, that it it just doesn't really do anything in in such a large part of the year.
1: Well, they've applied to join the Lowland League, apparently, so
0: that'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Don't as well. even bloody start me. Right. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. Um, uh, yeah, the only Colts are the Indianapolis ones, God damn it, and we'll keep it that way. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, so for me, I think... Right, if, this is a hypothetical, so I'm going to be hypothetical. Is there a way for an NFL Europe to return, be successful, and be a pathway to the NFL? I think the answer to that is that there is. But, and it's a massive but, there is an awful lot of work. We'd need to go into it first, kind of to the same point you were making, Duncan, about facilities. We've now got the NFL Academy in London, where there are kids who are going to be coached at a young enough age that they can develop and hone their skills to be better than the guys that are picking it up at the age of 22, 23, 24, uh, and playing locally up and down Scotland and England. You know, there's a great game and the Baffle League is fantastic. I'd highly recommend anyone go to that. But for me... There's two things need to happen. One is the continued growth of that NFL academy. And I think that what you would need to do is start setting up academies throughout Europe as well. So let's take what you were saying there. You could have Scotland, England, Ireland, France. And you could have that then feeding up to a team above it that's a conference where they go and take some of the guys out of America that are looking for a second chance or guys coming out of college who are undrafted free agents that have been assigned to teams that are then sent over to Europe to play alongside some of these young players because actually it's not... I'm bringing this back to Colts. It's playing a bunch of kids that have never played before are not going to learn enough about the game for them to develop and go and play against guys that have been playing it since they were four-year-old or younger, because they're just not gonna be able to keep up with that. Where do you learn though? You learn from the people that are playing alongside you, who can coach you in the game, on the field. That experience of someone who has played the game that long is so invaluable to people in the UK and in Europe who are young and looking to learn the game. That then makes you feel like, actually, do you know what? There's a learning opportunity here for me to grow. There's somewhere for me to play at the end of it that's got uh, eyeballs of America. And we've seen more as well. The other factor that comes into play here is that uh, Um, because of the focus, right focus, on injuries and looking after players' well-being and safety, we are seeing players come out of games more often. We're not seeing or hearing about players taking injections before games to get through all the way through the season. I'm sure a lot of it still goes on, but they are taking care of themselves. The head knock injuries are resulting in players going into concussion protocol. We've seen more and more um, that... Teams are utilising players from elsewhere. And actually you saw players from the XFL and the AAF get that call up because they've been playing competitive football recently. Now, if you've got something like that in Europe, and again, let's talk about, we talked about one division before. You could have one in Holland, you could have an academy in Germany, one in Poland, one in Italy. There's your two divisions at eight. Distribute, um, spread out across Europe, but in focal areas where there is an attention on American football, the Germans love it. And that's why the NFL are looking to take it into Germany. It's no surprise that they're looking to do that. but that's a that's an investment now for something that's going to be useful five, ten years down the line and not before. Because if you rush into it, you're not going to set it up for success. If you're going to start putting those teams in place early on, great, do it. But you're going to have to commit to Paul's point about longevity. There has to be a focus on a long-term plan, not a th- 10-year plan or anything like that, it would need to be a 30-year plan. You would need to roll the dice and you would set a rule that says, right, if the metrics go below a certain point, we will pull the plug on this, but we will keep pushing this because we want to open up American football to the world and we want to get the best sports people possible who've got a passion for the sport playing it. You roll the dice on it, you see what happens, you give that pathway, you make it very real, you make it tangible, you make it up front and you make it seen and you give players something to aspire to. And I think this all comes back to as well, we touched on it at the very top, is social media and availability because if your big plays are getting focused and you're on attention and you're getting stuff on social media, we know how much that stuff gets shared. You know, you get into that whole thing as well now with Twitter and things like that, Instagram, where people are going to the games and people get annoyed at folk filming it. But they're filming it to show their mates online that they were there and they were part of it. It's all part of the same thing. It's the fear of missing out. And if you've got that instilled into you and that's the world that we live in now, everyone's afraid to miss out. So they don't want to miss out on their opportunity, but that opportunity needs to exist beyond something other than playing uh, uh, and an amateur team where people have to pay to play, which is still the case. Anyway, I'm ranting. Um, What we would almost need to see here is I think we'd need to see a big fundamental growth in the NFL academies beyond the one in London, get satellite ones across Europe, and then start to focus on building up talent all over Europe, as much of it as we can, as much of it they're interested. As well as that, I think we need to invest into the British the BAFA league Um, and I think that what we need to do is try and get a couple of kind of pocket teams and really make them a a flagship team in an area in a market so to your point you've Manchester, Birmingham, Edinburgh, Glasgow uh, a couple of teams in London, you can Cardiff, whatever Really put some money behind those teams and get them to draw in the best talent. Make that team as good as possible where players can work their way up to a team that's clearly the best with the best facilities and the pathway's already begun. You continue to develop that, you continue to grow. And I, for me, that's where NFL Europe has an opportunity to grow, uh, re-exist, re-imagine, and potentially fund and feed the odd person in, back into the NFL. Paul's going to tell me I've been talking pish though.
1: No, I think we did mention before the podcast we weren't going to really reference covid we were trying to think of it in a big picture yeah. but if you if you look at things realistically I think covid has set things back because you're not going to speculate at nope. the moment you know and and that that's a fact of life and I think that's where we are you know because it, you know if you if you're going to have to sink in an awful lot of advanced capital into a business and all of a sudden you can't get to the place of business uh, it, it's not going to happen. I think what I th- what I think still think is they pulled the plug a little bit too sharply on the on the NFL Europe, and you know tried to take it away from that London Monarchs, you know Scottish Claymores rivalry. But it comes down to one thing: money. Money was tight at the time, and when money's tight, things regress. And I just think we're not in that cycle uh, where we're going to go forward.
3: I so I, 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 I agree with you on that, Paul. But I, th- I, th- I think the I suppose it depends on who's bringing the money to the table as well. Like, you know, if the, if the NFL see it, if, you know, a commissioner's office sees it as a huge boon, you know, because, because what you can do with that, you know, if, if you do have these franchises, if you were to relaunch NFL Europe, is that you can make the all or nothings for that in, for your individual market, you know, that, that suddenly that you will be following the inside of a player's journey, or you can be a short thing, but you know, that, that, you could make that a prerequisite that it has to go out on terrestrial channels, as opposed to your, your paywalled partners or, or what have you. And it's just if again, it's difficult, but there should be a way of quantifying it to be able to show how that eventually builds the pathway into any NFL fandom, um, which you know is ultimately you, you want you want to be able to at a certain point say, well, this is we this person watched all or nothing. Amsterdam, uh, if you want, or and it ended up with them going to a gate, like being able to follow that journey through that they watched it, and then they, they bought tickets, and then from that they you, know, the, what their player ended up being drafted by the Browns, and you know, they bought a Browns jersey, and now have taken out an NFL pass or, or what have you. That, that should the NFL are smart enough, that they should be able to be able to do that. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that any Scottish football authority was able could could do that sort of thing, but you know that uh, if there are anyone that can do that, would it be the NFL or uh, MLB that that can can follow that journey? And I think that's that it has to be sold as not necessarily a benevolent thing to the owners. I suppose is that it actually it's for the good of the game. I think we we we've kind of touched on it a little. I mean, I think what's happening in college sports is going to create a huge amount. Of, a tumult and probably see a, a big reduction in the number of schools offering football like and that that becomes a pipeline issue again so uh yeah i think it's, it's going to be fascinating and i think that if the nfl don't have an, an eye on this at least as a watching brief then i think the
2: it's uh it'd be a bit of a concern i am not sure they they will i mean i I would like. I like the idea of it. I think it's great. I, I'm not convinced at all that the, the NFL would be interested in doing. It. I mean, I think it, 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 the NFL makes an awful lot of money. I think at the end of NFL Europe, it was reporting losses of about thirty million, which is maybe maybe a drop in the ocean for the NFL these days. Um, and. It probably wasn't at the time <laughs> no no and I, I think it would cost a lot more money to get things set up and I, I, I agree with Cameron that if you're going to do it you have to do it properly and you have to make it look like you're here for the long haul and not just for five or six years because people are not going to buy into it really if, if they feel like it's just going to be another short-term uh, effort like you know that some of the ones in America have been I think I think they would. I'm not sure the NFL will go for it because the the international series has been a success. It's a success. A, a pretty low risk for the NFL. They can sell out easily. The games are going to go to Germany. They've been to Mexico. They may go to Canada. You know that, as Paul said, that 17th game. They can take games all around the world, uh, sell them out. The the fans at home won't really. Well, they they won't really care about the, those fans uh, in America that, that might miss out and go into those games, and, and you know they make they make money out of them. The popularity of the sport is continuing to grow, and it might be growing at a, a decent enough pace for them. Uh, and it, just the idea of them taking a whole, even even if you give it a couple of years to let the you know co- the pandemic and everything settle down and things get back to some degree of normality. The idea that they're they're going to spend a lot of money on something which is not up to the same standard that uh, the the current NFL is is a I'm just not sure they're going to do it. If we didn't have the international series, I think I think they would be more likely because I think they would be they would be looking at other ways to uh, to increase revenue and increase popularity. But I think I think the international series is a killer, I, I, and I think also for for fans, I think there'll be fans to would, if we didn't have the International Series, would maybe go to sort of games in May and June uh, here. And they, they might still, I'm sure there'd be fans that would go to uh, a Scottish team here, but also go to the International Series. But I think th- there's a whole number of fans that would be happy enough going to one jolly down in London or a couple of jollies down in London for the year, and that would it. And I think having those two things competing almost against each other, even though they're at different times of the year, seems unlikely i i kind of feel like they would need to they would need to get rid of the international series and if anything they're doubling down on it so yeah I, I, but you know from a romantic point of view i i'd love the idea of it um it's just i'm not quite sure the NFL are quite so keen on it so yeah, the, the
3: the the NFL and romance tend not <laughs> no. uh, not to be happy bedfellows. You know, the, yeah. Save that for NFL films documentaries. But aside from that, like, you know.
0: So yeah, we've given the the pros. We've given a few cons. I'm not sure whether we've actually made any kind of decision <laughs> as to where we lie. I think this it feels fairly split. Um, I don't think we even need to cover who thinks what anymore. Uh, do let us know your thoughts though if you've been listening would you like to see a return to NFL Europe would you like to see a return to the Scottish Claymores is there any other th- growth of the game that you'd like to see uh, let us know uh, by replying on Twitter on, on Facebook uh, and we'll read out some of the best thoughts Paul in the
1: next podcast But indeed we will and don't at me for not liking Wimbledon okay, <laughs> <10 assists. laughs> rubbish
0: but we have to move on because i can see that andy's absolutely champing at the bit here uh, to talk about the running back situation in la um because poor cam acres what a, you know had a great season last year really coming into a game he's done his achilles and he's out for the whole of the 2021 season already uh that's the injury started that's when you know the nfl season's back mm-hmm. um andy what do you do
2: well yeah what do they do it's uh, it's a it's a Bit of a disaster for uh, for the Rams, to be honest. He Cam Akers wasn't really involved for a lot of last season, so he came into last season and a lot of people were tipping him to be a a kind of star of the, and one of the the best running backs uh, in the league. And then he came in and he didn't he wasn't that impressive the first couple of games, and then in the in game two he se- separated some rib cartilage, which sounds Pretty awful, to be honest. Uh, he came back a, a few weeks later, but he, he never really looked the same. And I think in that early part of the season, he also had some trouble with this kind of blocking assignments and stuff as well. So he wasn't really trusted for for a large part of the season. Uh, and it was only towards the end, um, where uh, Daryl Henderson, the other running back, also get injured, there, where he was incorporated into the the starting lineup. And he he kind of exploded in that last few weeks of the season. He he had a 100- hundred over 170 yards rushing against uh, the Patriots and uh, a sort of incredible performance. performance um, he had over 100 again in the playoffs uh, in the the game against the Seahawks and 90 against the, the Packers uh, in an otherwise kind of difficult game for the Rams so he was he seemed to be on the cusp of breaking out this year uh, after after that sort of up and down first season and yeah just to, to have done his uh, his ligaments is a, a total disaster it leaves the the Rams are pretty in, a, in, a, in an interesting position. They've got Henderson, who they, they brought in initially to uh, replace Gurley, and he didn't really do that. He, he played in fits and starts again last season and uh, the year before, but uh, he also suffered from injuries. So so you've got somebody else who's coming in who has a bit of experience but hasn't really had a, a particularly consistent run and doesn't look as explosive as Acres It just doesn't look as, as good a player. Um, and then behind him, you've got guys that uh, the Rams picked up in the, the seventh round and an undrafted free agent. So uh, I would expect they'll bring in one of the sort of awful options that are. Uh, um, they, they could bring in for nothing at the moment and, and none of them are, are appealing whatsoever. But so let's, um...
0: let's talk about those awful <laughs> options because I yeah, have absolutely. now shared my screen uh, for the, those on Zoom and hopefully yeah. you can see exactly what's available. Think mm-hmm. of this as a menu, uh, Andy, before your very eyes. Is there any <laughs> names on this list that immediately jump at you is like, hey, I'm having that. The one caveat is, don't you dare touch Frank Gore. I'll be raging. <laughs> Frank, if you're listening, because we know you do. Don't you dare go to the Rams. Don't you dare... <laughs> You know better than that, Frank. You know better.
2: Well, we've lost Malcolm Brown, who was used to getting kind of three yards per carry. So we probably do need somebody <laughs> hey, who can. Don't you be dissing, Frank Gore. I'll not have it. He'll be, able to,
0: he'll be able to get three yards per carry when he's 88. Let me tell you. It's average. It's average. That man has just consistency all the way through it so yeah right who who's on this <laughs> list uh, for those that uh, are you're gonna have to yeah. say the names out loud because obviously
2: it's a bleak list so we've got, we've got obviously we've got Todd Gurley and the idea of him coming back uh, it's romantic but not really rooted in any reality given that his knees basically seem to have, have completely gone and he, he, was, he was largely pretty ineffectual for uh, Atlanta last year uh, you've got Duke, uh, Duke Johnson uh, TJ Yeldon, Dion Lewis Chris Thompson, I mean, none of these guys are, are thrilling. Uh, you've got Adrian Peterson coming back for his umpteenth season. Uh, I mean, he he might actually be the one of the better options on the list, given that he, he's sort of been okay again the last the last couple of years. Um, Levy on Bell would be the one that you think on paper, but but he has since he's come back has been really poor. Wasn't not impressed with him at Kansas at all last year. Wouldn't really be very excited about him coming in. Uh, yeah, Ito Smith done a foreman. Uh, I mean th- there's there's no one on that list that uh did really anything last season. I mean maybe Adrian Peterson did the did, did the most. So I think yeah, I think they I think they'll go with Henderson as their their first dog. They might bring in a, a veteran just for a bit of backup because as I say they don't have very much. I think they like some of their, their uh guys from the, the later rounds and some of the rookies, but and sometimes, you know, and running back is one of those positions where you can sometimes get away with it. You can sometimes take a flyer And somebody. You know, uh, Robinson at the the Jags last year was, nobody thought anything of him last year and he had a 1,000-yard season. So running back, you, you can get away with sometimes in a way that you can't with other uh, other positions. The, the the Rams line isn't the best. And one of the things that Akers uh, was good at coming out of college and that he showed that he was good at last year was that he... Uh, has is able to kind of escape from difficult situations when the kind of pockets collapsing around them. Uh, Henderson wasn't as good as that, and I don't know if anyone else is capable. So yeah, it, a, a pretty huge blow, uh, and uh, it doesn't it, it takes one of the big weapons away from from Stafford, and, and it actually puts a bit more pressure on yeah. Stafford yeah. in this.
1: Yeah, it puts more pressure on Stafford. I'd like to see if Jake Funk from Maryland simply because I love the name <laughs> and it also puts more pressure on your officials as well. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> I think,
2: uh, they've, they've, all, they've all been paid off already. So ah, <laughs> uh, dab, dab.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh
0: God, the cheap shots. The cheap shots are back.
1: Well, this is a fourth well, season. But... <laughs> Move on. <laughs> talk, talk, talking of cheap shots, I mean, it has to be one of the stories of the off season as Mrs. Dwayne Haskins Thumping Mr. Dwayne Haskins in a hotel in Las Vegas and knocking his tooth out. Yeah. Um so so it's it's never dull when there's NFL players around. Um so I I thought that was one of the, the stories of the off season. Um poor Dwayne Haskins obviously got himself into all sorts of trouble in Washington, uh, is now with the Steelers. We've got a chance to back up Big Ben and yeah it's not quite worked out for him in Vegas but what happens in Vegas apparently doesn't stay in Vegas it just goes on social media <laughs> yeah. and all around the world
0: <laughs> if it's worth something to the paparazzi it doesn't stay in Vegas definitely not um, apparently I think they were there renewing their vows as well jeez oh that didn't go very well <laughs> <laughs> um, okay so um, I, I guess only another story to touch on we have to touch on this uh, we wish the very best to Greg Knapp the New York Jets coach who unfortunately had a bike accident at the weekend is in critical condition. Uh, that's a story that's breaking today. Uh, passing game specialist coach with the Jets just joined this year, I believe, um, and obviously very worrying news coming out of New Jersey. We wish him the absolute best. Um, the Buccaneers were at the White House today getting their thing, the Super Bowl, great whatever move on to the next thing um beyond that paul i think we're just excited to be back we're doing actually we've been talking about claymores and we've not even talked about uh, our exclusive design from goatee designs scottish claymore 25 year world bowl winning t-shirt that we currently have available through our friends at sonsy face check out our twitter feed um check out the website for a link to the sonsy face shop um it's 20 pounds for a t-shirt uh there is no profit from this any money raised from this at all will all go back into growing the game in the UK and uh, in Scotland sorry as we always do with anything we do not do this to make money we do this for the passion um, but these are only available for sale in July simple as if you do not pre-order it you'll get it in August if you do not pre-order it you'll never get one simple as that um, we're only doing this for the one time so if you want one you need to go and check it out it's a it's a brilliant design we're going to, we've had one um, actually we've physically got one now so we can share some photos of that it looks tremendous Paul it looks absolutely tremendous
1: who's modeling that you or me
0: it's a medium so it's definitely you um...
1: <laughs> <laughs> can I just the, 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 there's a couple of wee stories I'd like to touch on one from a Saints perspective is David Onyemata, uh picking up a six game suspension for uh, substance violations uh, y- you could argue it was refreshing there was no excuses coming from him he doesn't know what it is that's caused the problem but he's taken responsibility for it he's not trying to blame his trainers or anything like that i will be interesting to see how it develops and where it goes in terms of what the substance is and how it got into his body and I am delighted to say because I was no fan of Zach Street uh, that Mike Hoss has been announced as the new voice of the New Orleans Saints and um, Terrific play-by-play broadcaster, and I'm really looking forward to hearing him on the mic for Saints games. It makes such a difference. I'm not a fan of taking former players and just sticking them in the booth. It didn't work. It simply didn't work. And the Saints offering Zach Streif a job and the coaching staff, I think it's a brilliant thing because he's a great guy. uh, But better off not in the booth. Mike Hoss is the new voice of the Saints, which is
0: great. Mike Hoss, indeed. Yes, look forward to hearing you not moan about the Saints commentary this year.
1: (laughs) Until at least week two. (laughs) Right, okay. No, I mean... Well, he'll be great. I've got absolutely no doubt about that. But, you know, you know, it's interesting that, you know, you know, and something Andy talked about, you know, the NFL is trying to dominate the airwaves, you know, all the way through the year. They are going to have to come up with something um, for for July because I think it is probably the quietest month. And I know, you know, we get the odd little story, but it'll be interesting to see what they come up with in the future.
0: Yes, indeed, it will be. Right, well, that's the full-time whistle for episode 151. We're officially back, but that wraps up this one. Uh, thank you for taking the time to listen. Please, as ever, do share your thoughts on this and every episode. Share your thoughts as well on whether or not you'd like to see a return to NFL Europe and the Scottish Claymores. At Scotland NFL on Twitter and search for NFL Scotland on Facebook.
1: Brilliant to be joined by Duncan and by Andy. Thanks, gents. We'll have you back again during the season for all sorts of chats. Check out the NFL Scotland website. Lots of great content on there, but we'll be back again next week. We're back weekly now. The season really is about to get started on the NFL Scotland podcast. For Cameron and myself, thanks for listening. Bye for now.